Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to oh, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble on the drum. Beat out old trouble on the drum. Beat out old trouble on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the Yes, it's Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Poor Dale Bridge is unwell. The Empress Dowager is unwell. And Jane has saved our bacon. She's moved. Young Jane has come in. She's done all the bits and pieces. She's quietened the guest, who was a very nervous gentleman, never been in a studio before. And uh, she's going to set us up and then leave us to our own devices. Now, Jane did ask me a question. I'm not going to introduce you yet, David Green. I will in a minute. She asked me a question. Did we want the mood light on or the fluorescent light? Which one is it, David? Well, I think we'll have it in your face, Joe. Yeah, I think the fluorescent light. I don't think two old blokes chatting away about nothing in particular should be <laughs> no, <laughs> with mood lighting. It could get a bit uh, on top of us. So we, well, it could get a bit friendly on air. Yeah, which we, don't we can't. Want. We can't have that happen. No. Well, I'm introducing Mr. David Green, guest extraordinaire, activist extraordinaire. We'll learn all about David. We're in the canoe. You know the story. You go in a canoe. We're in a canoe. Oh, the barbed wire one. No, Joe. no, no. Just an ordinary canoe. We're going up the Rio Grande. I've got the, or the Murray. We, we would go up the Murray, darling, but it's a problem at certain parts of it. You can't actually use a canoe. That's right. I hear rice has got something to do with that. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. So, so we're going to go up a canoe. I've got the paddle. If I see something interesting, we go in that tributary. Okay. I'm not here to humiliate you, he says, smiling. <laughs> yeah, well, I love Menindee Lakes and I love that area. I do. It's, yeah, I do. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a great, we'll it's it, a great yeah. place. Mm. Well, without Jane, I wouldn't be a show pony, but now Jane stepped in, I'm a show pony. And the great thing about Radical Australia is it's, there's a show pony, there's a guest, and there's a Clydesdale. And I'm never the Clydesdale. You know why? Because I'm too stupid to learn how to actually put us on air. Well, I'm sure we'll get there in the end, Joe. Well, we are here because of Jane. Yes. So can we give her a clap? Thanks, Jane. 
Thank you very much. She found out, she found yes, out about uh, she found out about three minutes ago that she was going to put us on air. Yeah, and well, it didn't turn an eyelid. Terrific. No hairs turned. Yeah, nothing. It's great much. to see that that, that this is three star happening. Smell of an oily rack. And next week, I just like to remind listeners, it is radio fun. You won't have a guest. You'll have me, and hopefully Dale if she's better, and we'll be asking you for money, and we want a grand. If we right. don't get a grand. We're not going to bother showing up the week after. So we're warning you, Radical Australia, we need a grand to keep 3CR on air. Now, Dave, David, do I call you David or Dave? You can call me whatever you like as long as you don't call me slow or late for breakfast, Joe. How about late for dinner? <laughs> oh, well, that too. <laughs> Just to orientate our listeners, what year were you born? Uh, 1948. 48? 48. That's last century, halfway through last century, Joe. That makes yeah. you 71. Yeah, it does. That's extraordinary. Yeah, I've been around for a little while. You've been around, mm. around. All right, yeah. okay. And there's lots of things being stuffed into those years too. Okay. well, we're going to find some out. Some I can remember and some completely just, well, I might have been there and done that, but I can't right, remember. So you weren't, you weren't a Woodstock, I assume. <laughs> you know, if everybody no. says they're at Woodstock... I was down to earth, though. I I went down to earth. All right. Mm. Okay. 48. Now, what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Well, I was born in Elwood. Elwood. Elwood, in Melbourne. And um, one of the first things I can remember was that I I, um, heard this weird music, and I think they were bagpipes. Right, right. And then this dancing, and I can remember that. I've given it some thought. Yeah. And, yes, it was the bagpipes and it was the Scottish dancing and all that well, sort of were, stuff. Were, were your parents from Scotland or something? No, like our next-door neighbours were, and they were celebrating me for some unknown reason. I don't exactly know what they were celebrating, but that's what I remember. Maybe you fell down the stairs and didn't die or something. Yeah, well, we had all sorts of things going on. We were living in a flat at that time. Right. In Elwood? In Elwood, yeah. Upstairs? Yeah, upstairs in a flat, yeah. Yeah, Your parents, I assume your parents aren't alive? No, but, uh, well, my mother passed um, uh, age 63, so that was a big loss for us. And she was both mum and dad. She was 63. No, but how old were you? I was, um, now let's see, I was working, um, so uh, were, yeah, yeah, about in the 80s. Uh, in the 80s. Yeah. And your dad? Yeah, not too sure about dad. Don't no. really know when he passed. Right, he well, didn't hang well, around all that he long. didn't hang around that long. Did no. you have any brothers and sisters? I did. How many? I had uh, four brothers and sisters. Four, bro- four of each. I have uh, one brother <laughs> and three, three sisters. Three sisters. I'm a bit worried there, brothers and sisters. <laughs> so did your dad hang around for all the kids or did he just No, no, he disappeared when I was about 10 or 8 or something ten like or that. Eight, yeah, well, just around that. It was quite mm. common, wasn't it, for yeah. men to disappear in those days? Well, I think it was. There was a bit going on and yeah. he had some problems during the war, I understand. So, right. yeah, he didn't hang around all that long. And right. He disappeared. We know a little bit about him, but you know, not a lot. He not never made right. uh, contact they, with you us. You know, they were both born in Australia or born overseas. Yeah, no, they were both born in Australia. I think yeah. Mum was born in Sandringham, and he was born, yeah. I think, uh, right. you know, in in around town somewhere, yeah. mm, Fitzroy maybe. I think people don't understand the hidden costs of war, do they? Oh no, it, it followed us around for a bit. Yeah, yeah with all those issues. Tell us how that affected you. Well, I can remember as a, a young man some of the issues that he had and he was in and out of rehab at various times and mm. there was lots going on at that time mm. for the whole family. I can remember because the, of uh, I think health whatever, issues, mental issues? Or I think alcoholism. it was probably all of those things. Everything. I don't know what happens yeah. when you finish war, but, it, you know, I've, I've 
my knowledge of people that came out of Vietnam and, mm. and other wars who I've met in my work mm. years, mm. Um, mm. Th- anything can happen. Right. Post traumatic stress uh, mm. is a big issue, I think, with that crew is, and, 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 um, and the effect lots of. Yeah. It has on families. It's it's um, yeah, it has a kinetic effect. It so, uh, just exacerbates things at times. Yeah. Were you a legacy kid? Did they, the RSL take much interest in you? No, no one really took much interest in me. <laughs> I don't know what the issues were, but no one really took that much interest in me except my mother and my family, really, right, basically, right. and and some of mum's uh, brothers and sisters. So did how, how too. did you survive? I mean, four kids, you. Mum worked. What did and she, um, she was a bookkeeper right. and worked for various places and she just kept us, mm-hmm. you know, together to some degree and family helped as well and um, we all pulled our weight. We all had to pull our weight. Mm-hmm. That was the bottom line. Everyone had to do their bit. Was she so a, we did. Was she a double bookkeeper? She, uh, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that, Joe. Well, a lot of businesses had two sets of books, one for the owner and one for the tax man. <laughs> I don't think so. Mum seemed to be, you know, a fairly straight shooter. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she wouldn't yeah. allow us to do anything that wasn't, you know, straight shooting. So, straight shooting. Oh, yeah, yeah, otherwise. Yeah, well, and, and Mum, even though she was tiny, yeah. she could pack a punch. And she could pack a you punch. You had to watch yourself. You had to watch yourself at home. Absolutely. Oh. Right, she wouldn't so take any crap from anyone, really. Were you the oldest, the youngest? I was the second uh, eldest. The second and eldest. My brother's right. the oldest. The There's eldest. 11 months between us. So. Right, right. Yeah. And, and did you go to primary school in Elwood? or? Um, part of the time in Elwood and part of the time we got a war service home and we headed up so to Notting Hill. So there was some Hill. assistance there in terms yes, of there was. There so was. where was the war service home? Notting Hill. Notting Hill. Okay, what was life like for a... A young boy in primary school whose dad had kind of disappeared. Um, it was a bit tricky because they, at times, people didn't really know what to call me or how to okay. uh, interface. Well, Mum had a relationship further down the road, ten right. years later, yep. and um, I was in high school. I was a tech at that stage, right. and um, so I got called a couple of different things. Right, but mm. in, in primary school it wasn't... In primary issue. school it didn't seem to be much no. of an issue, did, no. did, did, Do you remember any particularly, ah, shall I put it, life-altering teacher? Is somebody in primary school or just you just kind of drifted through? I just think I drifted through mm. because um, primary school was some uh, somewhere I had to go. Right. But... You know, I also had a morning paper round, an afternoon paper round, and we oh, tell us a, did things tell like us that. Tell about the paper round, because obviously you'd have to augment the family income. Well, we did. Mm. When I wasn't buying, you know, cakes from the cake shop, I was augmenting the family income, I guess, to some degree. Mm. And so we all pulled our weight. Yes, yeah, so what did a paper regard? round entail? How many hours? So you did one before you went to school and one yeah. after you came Yeah, back. or selling papers too. I, I think I first started selling papers. That was in Ackland Street. Were you a Herald boy? I was a Herald boy, yeah. Oh. Um, opposite uh, the Peanut Farm, uh, Luna Park. That was my spot. It was pretty interesting. That's where I learned a lot about what went on on the street. And street mean? people. What do you mean, street people? They had street people in the yeah, 50s. They sure did, yeah. Before the police station went up uh, over the road. Ah, right. And there was lots of things going on in some of those parks, yeah. So you had to have your wits about you. Right, as a kid. Yeah, yeah. as a kid. As mm. a kid. And yeah. the six o'clock swill and all that sort of oh, thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, people pour out and vomit on the footpath. Yeah, yeah, or you'd pour into the pub. But sometimes you got big tips at 
you know, right. just before six o'clock if you were lucky. If you were lucky. Yeah, yeah. especially yeah. after that had a few. Yeah, it was good. overwhelming sense of the smell of the six o'clock swill? Is I am now cool? that you're talking about it. <laughs> Tell us about it. Oh, well, it's Tell just one. Tell us what it's like. How are we? Nine, ten? Mm, around that. Whoops, and what yep. would you do? Um, well, we just respond to the sort of environment we were in. And... Um, it was all part of our, the, the job you did. And uh, so you had your wits about you. You had your, to sell your papers and yeah. get your money in and organise all that and then go back to the boss and yeah. pay for the papers you'd sold. sold. Right. But, but, and then you get what, a... What was it like? What I mean, what, what are the smells, the scents? What, what, what scents? You'd be a little, little kid. You'd be about, what, a metre, if that. Yeah. And these are blokes six foot. Yeah. You know, burly blokes, yeah. sweating, drinking, carrying yeah. on. It's just what we did. I, I, I think dodging people and, and uh, trying to um, avoid them right? Uh, because they grab you and all, all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I also did work in a, a rehabilitation program over in Caulfield as well. But that was later on. That was later on. Yeah, but, but as a kid. So and there was a similar thing, the grabbing yeah. and the holding stuff. Yeah, so I didn't so like that much. Okay. So how much would you make? Um, I think it was in the realm of shillings. Right. Shillings, shillings. And um, maybe I think I've got uh, 22 shillings I think I was making a week. Something, week. yeah. That's real money. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. I think no, it was no, 22 about, shillings, something about, like that. that that's, um, cause I remember my and probably that included tips. Came here, his wage he used to work as a lumper on the wharves and he was getting five pounds. Right. So 22 shillings a week, that's, that's, that's a good wage for yeah, a I, I think that's around what we were making. I think uh, the mm. papers are around threepence or something like okay. that. Yeah. And Depending on um, mm. when you were working and where you were working, I think mm. it, it yeah. worked out to be reasonably lucrative. It could have been less than that, but I yeah. just have that in my mind's eye yeah. at the moment. So did, did you go to um, straight to tech college or did you go to high school first? No, I went from uh, state school to technical school. I went to Brighton Tech. So not much was expected of you, is that correct? Well, I... Was tossing up. I did like English. I did like reading, and um, but I also liked uh, practical things as well, and I liked mm. art. Mm. And um, a tech seemed to suit me. Mm. I didn't really have a lot of hand skills, but I learned them over time. Right. And I learned and I saw how independent some of the tradies could be. Right. And I uh, I liked that. I thought, yeah, they're pretty independent. They don't have to really answer. To too many people, they seemed to be because I had mate over the road whose mm. brother was a plumber too, and he seemed pretty independent and right. able. And right. so this is in Notting Hill. This was in um, back in uh, Elwood. 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 Oh, well, Elstonwick. Elstonwick. So you went to Tech College in Elstonwick. I went to Brighton Tech. Brighton Tech. Sorry. Mm. Yeah, I yeah that. that's okay, Joe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. When you get old, you miss things. You know, oh, Brighton don't we Tech. ever? I've probably skipped it. You know five or ten years of my life now talking oh, to you about oh, this because I'm just remembering bits that are coming yeah, up for I, me. I mean, I'm interested in little bits and pieces, you know. I'm not here just to go through your mm. life in a mm. methodical manner. As I said, yeah. we're in a canoe. If I see something interesting like a six o'clock swill and a nine and ten-year-old in a pub, you know, selling heralds, that's a very... It's a sight you would never see today. No, you wouldn't see that today, but there, I think there, I wasn't alone. There was lots my age yeah, doing all yeah. the same things, so yeah. you didn't feel uh, different. different. Right. You kids, were kids had to work 
in order for the family to survive. And we were a crew. We made friends with yeah. the other paper yeah. boys and yeah. we did things together and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. you know, um, mm. like have cake, uh, you know, mm. go to go to the local cake shop and right. see if you could eat the most cream buns and yeah. all that sort of thing. Yeah, mm. Think of the past, cream buns now. Yeah, no, all very that very stuff's nice. very unhealthy these days. Oh, stuff it. I used to like cream buns, and especially when I put the jam into the that, cream. That's right. To give it that extra flavour. Absolutely amazing. Mm. Yeah, and we had two or three, and then you'd know what life was all about. Yeah. You're getting back to, how long were you at Tech College for? Um, four years. Did you major in anything? Um, uh, well, not really, no. Not really? I, I didn't have that need to study at that stage. Right. So I, I kept my head above the high water mark, but only just. Yeah. And um, I thought at the end of year um, four, at the end of fourth form, I'd yeah. better get out of there and start earning a buck. So what, you were about 15? Yeah, 15 or 16, I yeah, think I was. So what, what was your first job? My first job was uh, an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Working as a plumber. 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 Mm-hmm. No, not yeah. with the bloke next door. No, I did work with him sometimes on weekends. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it wasn't so long ago I did see um, Ronnie, he, uh, who was my age. We yeah, were yeah. mates for a while and yeah. um, he also became a plumber. Right. So we did stuff together for a little while. Did you I think, actually finished your apprenticeship? Yeah, I actually did. You're a licensed was a, plumber? I was, yes, was. I was. No, I was going yeah. to ask you for some advice. Yeah, you can <laughs> ask, ask me some it's advice. It's like a doctor. You tell, people I, you're, you, I, yes. you tell people you're a doctor and they want advice. And that, that's you it. tell people you're a plumber, I'm sure they'll tell you about the odds. Yeah. And they, they really do, they yeah. Do. And uh, I say, look, I haven't really worked as a plumber for a while and I've got a couple of issues which don't allow me to work as a plumber anymore, but, right. you know, I do stuff when I can. Yeah, like you can't when I'm not over anymore or get on your knees. Well, I've had a few spinal issues. I had yeah. a bad injury on the job, and so uh, when I was an apprentice too and didn't want to admit it, and I just kept working through that. Right. So how yeah. long did you last as a plumber? Um, about, so I got a, a couple of years. A couple of years. A couple of years after my apprenticeship, you know, mid-70s, something like that I lasted. And then I, I worked in other fields aligned with plumbing. So well, I could work, you know. Do, you just couldn't do the heavy work. Of the I couldn't do the heavy work anymore. Right. And um, mm-hmm. they couldn't really find out what was exactly wrong with my spine. They put dye in it and all that sort of thing. And uh, Tell us about because they don't do that any milligrams anymore. No, they so don't. Tell us about the feeling. I had something that's... Not many people have experienced. Yeah, well, I had, um, and I do have actually, they did do an x-ray not so long ago, and they found out that I had arachnoiditis, which was From caused by the blue dye right. that they originally put into yeah, uh, yeah, the I spine so they could know, check out what was going on. a lot of needles in spines, and who knows what I've done in my time. Yeah, well, I... Uh, tell us, tell, what's it like? I want, I want a word picture. What's it like to get a needle through the... Through the discs yeah. into yeah. the spinal fluid. What's the feeling like? It's a, an excruciatingly painful experience. Um, local anaesthetic doesn't seem to stop it at all. Mm. And when they inject the uh, medication or the dye, in, into yeah. you, mm. you can feel it in your brain pan. That's right. And it crashes, and mm. it's like uh, the worst headache you've ever had in your life, mm. and it just shuts you down completely. You've just got to say, ah, you know, you've got to. Scream or yell or whatever. It's yeah, absolutely yeah. excruciating. Very barbaric. barbaric. Absolutely barbaric. But there was nothing else. There were no CAT scans. There were no MRIs. No, no. That's none the of that. the way to get the information. None of that. 
I've I've had a bit more experience with epidurals over the years mm. as well because of my spinal issues. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm fairly tuned into epidural procedures. Yeah, without having a baby, you've done well. That's right. <laughs> so, that's an in-joke. Sorry, listeners. Mm, yeah. If you don't get it, bad luck. Yeah, that's uh, just the way of the world. That's the way of the world. So, so what other fields did you move into? Okay. Well, I went into uh, plumbing supplies when right. I couldn't work as a plumber anymore. Mm-hmm. And then um, while I was doing that, I applied for a job as a ranger. A ranger. A ranger, a water ranger. A water ranger. A water ranger up on the main race just out of Bunyip, so Um That involved uh, maintaining the water supply to the Mornington Peninsula at that stage. Really? Yeah, yeah. 22 million gallons a day. 22 million. And yeah. how old were you then? I was there for a couple of years, two and a half years. So we had a big crew of workers and I'd work seven days on. Yeah. And uh, then I'd work seven normal days. So it was a unionised work site. It was sort of unionised, sort of unionised, but right. not specifically unionised at that stage. stage. Right. The other plumbing roles that I played in multi-storey work before that were unionised, well, luckily. Luckily. Because I was working um, in Melbourne, yep. in town, on one of the first multi-storey buildings, I think it was 22 floors. 22 floors, yeah. that is high. It was high <laughs> then. And um, we had lots of problems on that job. Right. We had a couple of people have severe um, life-threatening injuries mm. and um, there was no kickboards or guardrails around the job. There was no uh, covers over the ductwork. Was this before the BLF flexed its muscles? Uh, the BLF was on the job, yeah. on the same jo- job as me, and yeah. we formed a bit of a partnership right. with the Plumbers Union and the BLF. Right. And um, we uh, had several stop work um, meetings, and uh, it became very heavy, mm. it was very violent. Mm. And um, What do you mean violent? Well, life-threatening situations. Um, what do you mean? The manager and his uh, cronies would push me over towards the duct up the top, um, and it was straight sailing right down to the bottom. That's up at you know eleven or twelve floors. Well, were you, were you a, a delegate? Were you? I was a delegate. I was right. a shop steward at that stage. You were shop steward. So this is how they treated. This, this is the good old days. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Where you were basically threatened with. Violence, yeah. absolute violence, yeah. and um, they threatened me until we. I had a bit of support from George Crawford, who was then mm. the uh, yeah. the chairperson of the of the plumbers uh, union, yeah. and uh, he bought a couple of minders on the job for me. Mm. Just as so, what's a minder? Well, they were still they were plumbers, yeah. but they were big guys, and yeah. they supported me right. and watched my back. Yeah, and um, they. So this is- in After order, they removed, in order to draw a wage, right? Yeah. To support, uh, were you married by this time, kids or no? No, nothing but, like that. No, that's the, so. So, in order to draw a wage, this is the type of shit you had to put up with. Yeah. Yeah. And this was normal. You, yeah, this was normal work on those sorts of uh, in those sorts of environments, mm. and um, it just got very, very tricky. Um, for anyone working on multi-storey work at that stage. Mm. There was no cages for lifts and all those sorts of things, so you were Mm. taking your life in your hands Mm. when you're on those jobs. And because there was no covers over the duct holes going through the slabs, Mm. you had to have your wits about you. 
right. and you'll be working on stacks and so various other things like that. So it's quite have an accident and disappear. Absolutely easy. And that's why. But when the uh, manager and his uh, uh, cronies, cronies were edging me over to mm. one of the ducts, mm. um, uh, Barry and a couple of other people came out from behind the uh, brickwork and mm. uh, said, we've, we've got you, you've been lumbered as, mm. you know, uh, uh, forcing this person you know, to looking at a dangerous situation. So in the end, uh, the, the, the manager of the building site had to apologise to me in front of all the workers for threatening my life. But, yeah, which was quite a... a th- I had difficulty actually living that down and ongoing for about 10 years later. Until about 10, um, well, I applied for a couple of jobs because of my spinal issues right. in teaching. Yep. And I went in for my teaching interview and they mm. said, um, we remember you from your uh, radical years oh. and uh, you'll never get so, a job as a teacher. So the blacklist was well... The blacklist the multi blacklist. That's, that's exactly right. The multi black. Yeah. People don't understand about that, do they? No, they don't. And it was us, really tell us how it worked. Well, if you're on the blacklist, uh, you wouldn't get a job in the public service or you wouldn't have a, you, the, virtually the only job, unless you change your name or change your trade or whatever, mm-hmm. would be, you know, with a unionised uh, workforce. Yeah. You couldn't work for a private enterprise or even take on a job where you're self-employed. It was tricky. No one would hire you to do work. Mm. And you, yeah, especially in the Melbourne region, yeah. So I was well known in that stage, and so they knew me uh, when so I, I you, got. I, sho- I was shocked actually. So how did interview. you survive during those ten years? Um, well, I, as I say, I, I started working in uh, plumber supplies. Then mm. went to um, you know I, I got a job with the uh, State Rivers, mm. and. Right. Uh, then I uh, and I was sort of interested in a number of different things that were unionised at that stage, and uh, I was interested in reading about where the union went and what it was up to, what sort of supports there was about, and I I was just interested, I think, in um, uh, being able to have a say um, in what I was doing. And and, what uh, union are you talking about? Well, I'm still talking about um, the trade unions, but I was involved a little bit with the public service union as well, just to do with conditions uh, on the job and uh, pay and those sorts of things. Mm. We're very limited. So did you you become a steward again? No, I wasn't a a shop steward at that stage, no. No, I I, I was just active. And um, then... I had to leave the State Rivers again because my spinal issues started flaring up after I'd changed roles from a ranger to a turncock and I had to do a lot more physical work at that Mm. stage, even though it was a promotion. I had to do a lot more physical work, so I lost Mm. the use of my arms for a while and I had to go in for some more procedures. What do you mean procedures? Well, um, I had various manipulations under anaesthetic and uh, spinal injections and various other things, and that actually did help for a little while. It does, yeah. And um, that got me back... um, into a, a, a worker world role again. Mm. Um, mm. But I had a number of issues like uh, I, uh, I got involved, I think at that stage, Gough Whitlam had made it easier to get into education. Right. So I decided to do Year 12 
And it was the first time in my life, I think, that I'd ever studied. And mm. um, I did all right, mm. which was a real surprise to was me. Was this 72, 73? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, by uh, I think it was seventy six, nineteen seventy six, right? That I did year twelve, right. and um, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship, and uh, I started at Rusden State College um, in doing environmental sciences, and I that's, did the first twelve months that's in that. A huge change. Yeah, it was a huge change. Well, you had the ranger behind you, the water ranger, that would have helped. Yeah, 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 all of that stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I think all of those experiences help heaps. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's 4.30. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. Dale Bridge is unwell. We wish her all the best, and hopefully she's back here for the special radio f- fun program Next week, we will need to raise a thousand in an hour, which I'm sure we can do. We've got at least three listeners out there, and I know two of them are chronic gamblers, so I'm sure they'll <laughs> put the right bets on. And I'm interviewing, well, I'm chatting. This is not an interview. I'm chatting for Mr. David Green. So, from plumber to academic. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, so, what happened? And um, I've always been told when I, I, I did get involved in the academic mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. but um, halfway through, I started to develop more spinal issues and I had to actually go in at that stage for a spinal operation. What, a fusion or...? Yeah, not quite sure 100% what they did. It was a a partial laminectomy, C5, 6, C6, 7. So it worked. It worked. It gave me a new lease on life. I could even uh, print and write legibly and Mm. I had some fine motor skills. Right. I was a bit dexterous, so yeah. I could do all that stuff that I haven't been able to do for years, and I didn't realise that I couldn't, couldn't do, do any of that well, stuff. You could you explain to people what the pain's like when your spinal cord and spinal nerves are under pressure? Because you obviously lived with this for many years. Mm. Could you explain to people what that pain's like? Because I don't think most people understand how excruciating it can well, be. Well, it's, it's, it's like a pressure, like mm. a double whammy. You feel it sort of around the body. You mm. feel it up in the, the neck region and, mm. and the shoulders. Mm. And it's just like a, a lead weight almost in, yeah. in your body. Mm. And um, trying to get your arms to move, and there just seems to be some sort of... Uh, mm. um, yeah, the pain is uh, like a knife. Someone's put a knife into your spine, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and this is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It, yeah, basically, it's hard yeah. to get relief from mm-hmm. it. So it must have been like a miracle. Screaming. When they did the partial... They would have done a dis- dissectomy. They would have taken yes. out a disc also. Yeah. I was lucky I had a good good guy that did uh, it. What hospital? Um, uh, St Vincent's. St Vincent's. Uh, Henry, Harry Crock. He's passed oh. now. Good old Harry. Yeah. Everybody knew Harry. Yeah. In the orthopedic world. He was, he was the worker's friend, Harry Crock. He was my friend, yeah. I tell you. He yeah. saved my, my ass. He, he did, was, Harry uh, Crock. He was yeah. a very well known, very respected orthopedic surgeon in yeah. this city. Yeah. And he did work at St Vincent's. And, for he, and he gave me feelings back in the hands. Yeah. And, and he did actually, did, he actually operated on people nobody else would touch. Yeah. No one was willing to yeah. go anywhere with me at that stage. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. you know so, he could have made you a quadriplegic. Well. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that? There, well, I knew that there was issues happening because when I lost the use of my um, hands and arms yeah. at various times, yeah. I thought, what the hell's going on here? I can't move. Yeah, you know, all I could feel was this sort of ache yeah. in my body and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it got a bit 
yeah. tricky, um, trying to identify yeah. what it actually was that was going on because yeah. you'd, uh, yeah. the anxiety, I think, yeah. was the yeah. one that sort of knocked you off your feet. Well, the thing about Harry was he was, own, he was his own man and you wouldn't get, I think, a surgeon like that being employed in a public hospital anymore because they just basically want yes people these days. Right. He, he, wouldn't have got, he wouldn't have got a public hospital job, Harry. Yeah. There's no way. Today, yeah. I can guarantee that. It's all, it's all homogenised and characters and eccentrics don't exist. There's a few, but not many. Yeah. Most of them have died out. Oh. All right, so, so what are you doing in the 70s? Um, in the 70s, I'm, I'm going back to study after... After, after, I, after you graduate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. After, well, I, I, after my op, yeah. I had a sort of a change of um, direction. Again. Again. Oh, you didn't go um, back to plumbing. No, I didn't go back to plumbing. I was still staying in the academic arena and um, uh, I'd had some interest in counselling processes and procedures and some of the people I knew that were getting involved in that were doing some proactive work out there on the street as well and I've always been a bit interested in... What do you mean proactive work on the street? Well, there was the Family Centre project going where that that was a project run by the Brotherhood and at that stage uh, Mm. people were given a living wage uh, after being on the dole and and seeing how that worked for them, starting up community gardens, Collingwood Children's Farm, all that sort of stuff. Started. So you actually involved in the establishment of the Collingwood Children Farm? No, but I was on the ground then mm. in that stage. I think I was one of the back people in that, but I, yeah. you know, yeah. no pun intended. A, I don't know if you remember Fear Swift. I do. The yeah. name rings yeah. a bell. She died about 25 years ago. I was a good friend and she was instrumental in, uh, in uh, establishing she was one of a group of people that established the Collingwood Children's Farm. Right. And uh, she actually did her Masters on the Collingwood Children's Farms in, in the right. 70s. Yeah, like right. 70s, early 80s. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Swift, S-W-I-F-T-E. And the tragedy is her daughter died recently. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's tragic. Mm. Yeah. So how did you earn a buck? Who paid you? Um, well, I was getting... Um, uh, a settling benefit, I think it was around $25 a week or something like that. $25 a week? Yeah. I hope you didn't spend it. Yeah. I was finding it difficult to survive, actually, <laughs> yeah, at that nothing's stage. Nothing's changed, has it? No, nothing much has changed. So, so you but Goff, Goff uh, allowed me to do that, right. which was terrific. And um, so I stayed there and I, I completed that diploma and um, mm. then I went out and worked. That's and I worked... I worked as a welfare worker. Welfare uh, worker. Well, the, what I came out of uh, studies with was uh, the welfare diploma. Mm. And what year was that? That was um, 1982 I graduated. And how long did you stay in that field for? I've, I've not really changed from that field of work. I, I, even though I've upgraded and done a degree in postgraduate stuff, I'm, mm. I'm still sort of in, so that, in that mode. In and that st- mode. Mm. Right. Mm. Since 82? Since eighty two, yeah. and now you're in volunteer work, and now I'm doing voluntary stuff in the same in the same field. in the same field, yeah, basically. Look, it's interesting because that's a uh, almost a forty year span, for actually thirty seven years. Yeah, has anything changed in that period? We always seem to be the first ones to have uh, programs taken away. Um, it's only ever short term, and that seems to have been the case since I've been involved. No long-term programs. All my work has been mostly short-term contracts. 
Short since 82. Since 82. I did have a couple of permanent roles with human services mm. and I work with um, a number of different organisations through them. Mm. One of those was Aboriginal Child Care Agency. Mm. And I, I don't want to talk about people of past, but no. um, uh, I did work with people that have passed now. Mm. And um, we opened up a few things, which we changed a few things, mm. which was just terrific. Yeah. And um, Like what? Um, instead of incarceration, we started family group homes run by family members right. of the people that were the young people that were incarcerated. Right. What year was this? Um, this would have been late eighties. Late eighties. And mm. what other things? Um, we stopped incarcerating people and uh, started program work, and that sort of made a big difference too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, education, mm-hmm. um, support networks, those sorts of things. Oh. So a number of things started changing. I'm still not, you know, there was still that other heavy side of the program, but yeah. um, mostly uh, things started to change then. Looks like the clock has rolled back. We're back into the incarceration mode, aren't we? It seems to be the case. They don't like or don't seem to want to put too much um, uh-huh. finance into uh, the people that I work with and um, it's all, they take away money from us when they promise us stuff and yeah it's just been the nature of the work that I've done over the last 40 years and that's been the way it was and that's currently still, still the way it is. This is both state Local government and federal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in some cases, because you know I'm passionate about public housing and mm. um, those sorts of dynamics uh, have changed radically over the years too, whereas there was a fallback with public housing. That's not an option now for some of the people I'm seeing in voluntary capacities. Mm. And so that street's the only other option for them. That's really diabolical as far as I'm concerned. Don't like it at all. So, so do you think things have gone backwards or forwards in the last 40 years? I think uh, with the lack of um, public housing, I think things have gone backwards myself, yeah. I'd like to see uh, lots of changes in the way we uh, put roofs over people's heads. Mm. You think it makes a difference having a roof over your head? It's the first stage on the ladder. It's, it's, you've got to have that before you can start to do anything out there. It's very necessary. It's very necessary. We've all heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Well, that's true. People realise that. What is it, just in case we've got a listener who doesn't know what that is? Well, it's like a ladder. A ladder, right. A ladder of achievement. Mm -hmm. And at the top of that ladder, before you can start to do anything, Mm -hmm. like learning, is have a roof over your head and a stable and kind and caring environment, if you can. Yeah. And that's the start of... uh, And... uh, that's been well documented over time as being the, the baseline yeah, for yeah. Uh, some sort of stability in one's life yeah. to help them with academia or into academia or any other yeah. thing they care to do. It's quite interesting because I you know, had an intellectual understanding, not a practical understanding, so we did the 10-day uh, pr- vigil on the, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House and I had all these grand plans. I was going to write this and do that and I found that it was a full-time job just looking after your basic necessities, finding a toilet, yes. having a piss, yes. having a shit, having warm clothes, you know, trying to deal with yep. the rain, dealing with security, dealing with police. Yes. And it was a full-time occupation. You're that is right. absolutely... People don't understand that about it. They think homeless people just lie about. You know, it's on the street, it's a full-time job. 
And it's a full-time job yeah. on the street and um, you've got to have your wits about you every minute of the time you're on the street. Oh, that's right, you don't know what's going to happen. You never know. Yeah. So you're always on edge. Mm. You can't plan for the future. So when did you retire from um, paid work? Paid work I retired around 60. We were lucky enough to get a, an old house and mm. I did a bit of renovation. An old uh, house. An old house. So it wasn't that old, but it was badly built and I had to rebuild it virtually yeah, yeah. from scratch and I had a bit well, of a where, hand to do this? that. Hmm? Where's this? On the peninsula, Mornington yeah. Peninsula, yeah. Right. And, mm. uh, all right, just out of interest, what did you pay for this old house in what year? Well, I paid a lot of money for it, really. You paid a lot of money? Yeah, a fair bit. What year? Um, yeah, 12 years ago. Oh, well, you like would have paid I thought maybe you bought it in the 60s. You know, no, you no, 10 no. Grand or something. no, 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 nothing like, like that. that, nothing like that. Although, um, we did get a good deal right. before this place and that mm. I think cost us 60,000. Mm. The house cost us 60,000. That was on half an acre. And so you, you could, you, that'd be impossible now. You just w- use the word we. Is this, is this your id, your ego? Or this, this, is, this is, come? this is my partner right. in crime. Uh, right. Yeah. And, right. uh, We've been together now for 35 years. Do you want to so. say anything about your partner in crime? Oh, she's out there working, working um, in, right. with the LGBTQ plus right. community and um, we're in, I'm involved with some of the things she, she's involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm involved in uh, the gathering place in Hastings. What's that? Uh, which is an indigenous gathering place mm-hmm. and I've been involved in that for a while, last right. few years. Right. So I was involved in Sorry Day and, and uh, mm. last week we did the uh, Reconciliation March. Mm. Mm. And so I volunteered to do bits and pieces there. Well, actually, I, my first voluntary role was last weekend. Last weekend. But you have been involved. <laughs> but I have been involved and supportive of my, my uh, wife, of course. Yeah, so how, many, how many years have you been doing volunteer work? Um, well, uh, five years. Five years. Yeah. Since you gave up full-time work. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yes. Or since you are pushed out. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Mm. Yeah. And, and why do you bother? Shouldn't you be at home pay, playing the TAB or uh, internet gambling or something? Why do you bother? You're an old man. You're well, 71 and you're spending all this time helping people. I, I just don't understand. Well, I think, Joe, I've, I've, um, I like to get involved and I like to make a commitment to people and part of what I've been doing over the years I've been doing a lot of representations in the various courts there are out there representations representations you're not a jailhouse lawyer no well I'm probably um I've done a fair bit of work in front of the residential tenancies tribunals right and I worked at a uh, with an organisation called Bayside Tenants Information Service, and, mm-hmm. and we had um, we were one of the first organisations to start advocacy for trying to keep people's roof over their heads. All right, can, I just I just want to go back a word. I think because we use a lot of big words on this program. What's an advocate? Well, it's someone who helps the person to represent themselves in a court of. Of some sort. Do you have any legal standing when you do that? Well, I, I studied welfare law. Right. And so I had a basic understanding. No, but do you have any legal standing when you go into court, say, in a magistrate's court? Well, you, you, you sort of do because you're advocating for that individual who perhaps can't talk for themselves. Right. So, yeah, 
to some degree you do, and they give you permission to talk on their, their behalf. So you're basically not there defending them, you're there explaining the situation. I mean, yeah, as, a, as someone who's sort of trying to give the judge a picture of what this person's been involved with mm-hmm. and how they've had to cope oh, just in, in their circumstances. Just give an example of what... Just an example, just an anonymous example. Well... You, you wander into, the, you go to the court, right? It's full of people. Magistrate schools are always full of people. Do you know the person you're going to advocate for? Have you met them? Mostly before? you do. Right. At the tribunals, it was tricky because you'd mm. be waiting there at the tribunal. Someone come up and talk to you and say, right. um, I'm about to be evicted. You'd ask yeah. them the reason for that. Then they'd say, oh, because I, you know, my, um, uh, my, hot water service wasn't working correctly and I said to them, well, you can stuff it, I'm not paying your rent. Until you fix and it. And I didn't, yeah. until you fix it. Mm. And under the law, that's probably quite correct and it was in those days that mm. they could do that, but the way they did it mm. was probably inappropriate and they got the mm. landlord offside. And mm. um, The law has changed since then, though, mm. and lots of things have changed right. in relation to the Residential Tenancies Tribunal mm. where um, uh, people... Can still represent, uh, represent themselves, yeah. but um, the landlord role has changed. Mm. The landlords seem to be a little bit more dictatorial now than they were when there was advocates out there right. in the field helping people to run so the gauntlet the, the, of the residential. I think there is, but I don't know to what degree there is. And in the last five years, I'm not 100% sure what's actually happening there. But I understand there are housing workers out there that do advocate for people to try and stop evictions Mm -hmm. and such. Because it becomes... Financial counsellors, all those type of people. The whole spectrum of support is available there in most cases, depending on Mm. how far down the road they are with uh, the Mm. debt. How did you find the tribunal members? Did they listen or just... Some did and some were pretty tricky, yeah. 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 But but mostly we had good success Mm. in those days. Um, We had a number of politicians wanting us out because a lot of their real estate mates... um, pressured them into pushing us out, and so we were pushed out eventually. Why well, um, do you no longer have the right to represent people? Well, they, de- they, they defunded you no, know, oh, us. You just, that's always a good one, isn't it? You can actually defund it because you, do, you don't rely on corporate largesse, do you, for these type of organisations? They, they, they wield money. a lot of power, the corporations, I'm Yeah, afraid. but they don't give you lots of money to run these things, do they? No, they don't. You no, they the just smell put of pressure on the politicians to remove... Most of us ever only got part-time roles. Mm. I was community ed worker, so I had a, a little bit more hours than most of us yeah. there, and I ran tribunals and various other things in schools um, to show them how it worked if they got into trouble in their first rental property so or whatever. So you be in the magistrate's court on behalf of advocate for people? I've been in the magistrate's court, children's court, um, uh, county court, um, high court, um, for various people, yeah, up to in the Canberra. High Court. Um, no, yeah. in, in Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. Trobes, William yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and uh, how have most of those uh, legal people, uh, like the magistrates, the judges, treated you as an advocate? Mostly they've been fairly good, but say where your life had been threatened or whatever mm. um, by certain individuals, mm. especially when you're in that pedophile, blah, 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 thing Mm. and children involved in that Mm. scenario 
I found that sometimes they were a little bit not so supportive, um, especially with the death threats and other things like that that used to happen quite frequently. What do you mean death threats? Well, when you're advocating for, you know, a sibling and a parent in the background who may have been labelled a a pedophile... they can get quite angry and upset at you, and because uh, you're advocating for the sibling, yeah, and you're airing the dirty laundry. Is that exactly right. Mm. So that can get a bit tricky out there. So, what was your role in the children's court? Um, as a support person, generally for the children. What does that entail? That entailed um, all sorts of things then, which I don't think they've got now, mm. like supervision orders and all those sorts of things. Right, um, right. So well, what, what do you think about this new craze to incarcerate everybody? I think it's a, a terrible step. I think do you think it's, it's self-defeating? Do you think it'll bite us on the bum later on as a community? I can't see how you can change uh, with incarceration anything, really. I don't mm. think it works. Um, from what I can see, it just creates more incarceration, mm. more anger, more violence. Um, when we've got resources that we can, mm. uh, that we could use, which cost less than prison, um, and... Uh, we want it can change can change people. It Dave, seems that that's the case. Well, this seems to be something that's been Fanned going on for a long time. Press. We need that pound of flesh. The fear game is yeah. the fear yeah. the fear mongering about yeah. what people may or may not do if they're left uh, to their own devices uh, mm-hmm. is, causes a lot of consternation. Mm-hmm. Um, right. the, some of the support networks that I've seen go down the tube of recent years um, that were out there for for the African people the, when they originally started coming into with Melbourne there was a support network, they were funded yep. um, I was yep. working at Spring Isle at the time and um, uh, there was uh, advocates for all the new um, people coming from uh, concert, you know, from camps yeah. over in Africa and uh, there was lots of support for them to help them to uh, get involved in yeah. jobs and various other things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I think 35 or 40 support people were just defunded. Yeah. And I think that was in the current... Well, it is, isn't it? Isn't, the isn't Kennedy it, era or something. Isn't it wonderful today? We've got all these people we can complain to. The Health Services Commissioner, Human Rights Commissioner, the Children's Commissioner, and we go on and on but we don't actually have any backup services. And it doesn't matter how... Or minimal backup services. And it doesn't matter how much you complain, nothing happens. And people wonder why nothing happens. And you've, I think you put your po- finger on a good point, is you actually need support networks for people who are having trouble uh, adapting or, yeah. or, or, um, or, or surviving yeah. because of what's happened to them in the past. Yeah. And they don't exist, do they? They've all been privatised, haven't they? From what I can see, there's still a number of support services out there, but most of them uh, try and get uh, others involved that uh, may or may not, you know, uh, be able to deliver the goods. But hasn't the so-called welfare sector now been privatised? We've got these organisations, mostly religious-based, which are making heaps of money out of it to deliver services on behalf of governments? I understand that was the, that's the case with the uh, current program the uh, mm-hmm. the current um, mm-hmm. the current program that uh, the uh, uh, is remiss mm-hmm. to some degree mm-hmm. the um, 
Yes, I, I agree. There's a number of people that have been uh, funded to take on the uh, various programs out there that uh, aren't able to Provide deliver their, deliver they their deliver, goods. They get the money, they don't deliver. Uh, look, you've been, as I said, you've been in this sector for over 40 years after you, know, you kind of uh, gra- gravitated away from plumbing because of health issues. Have you got any suggestions for change? I'm sure nobody's listening and nobody cares, but do you have any suggestions? You've got 40 years' experience in the field. Well, it would be good to see um, ongoing funding uh, for various organisations that are at grassroots levels rather than just uh, two, two years or three years or whatever. So you think all this um, competitive tendering uh, uh, benefits corporations that move into the area and they can see a buck to be made? I think that there's a number of organisations around at the moment that perhaps are getting funding that aren't doing the job mm, mm. and um, there's a number of organisations out there currently mm. that have taken on too much, I think right. uh, I can't really name them Well no, I'm asking you today, I'm just saying maybe, maybe if they've taken on too much because And, and a lot of their support. clients have just been left hanging in the you know, waiting game. Well, and, it's uh, like the NDIS. There's not enough staff. There's not enough resources. It goes on and on. So, so any, any suggestions you can make apart from you know um, what they call long-term funding? Well, there's. I I think uh, one of the most important ones is long-term funding, mm-hmm. and um, especially for programs that take people out of poverty. But I, I, some of some of the some of the things that I would like to see mm. that would take people out of poverty was giving them a decent pension, mm. a decent new start income, mm. um, uh, yeah, a working wage would be a but wonderful thing to see. Decision two weeks ago that we don't care, and even a lot of the people who receive pensions, uh, their own oppressors, because. There were options for this time in this election, and most people didn't take out that option. Even in Victoria, they didn't uh, take I, that option. I, I, well, I think there's a number of issues. People just feel downtrodden in, mm. in, um, fearful. Mm. Um, I, I was getting that feeling prior to the elections mm. that you didn't know financially, um, what the various, um, mm. uh, political parties were going to do how they were going to act, whether they were going to uh, support people on Mm. low incomes Mm. or not. Mm. It was a huge dynamic, a huge issue. Now, when did you first first start listening to 3CR? 1976. 76 when it was formed? Mm. One of my mates uh, studying, Catherine Uh Dragon Johns, she had a program running out of 3CR and we were involved in that. 76. So as they say... Long-term listener, first time you've been in the studio. Yeah, forty-three yeah. years later. Generally, I like to. Up. Yeah, generally I like to run below the radar, yeah. and it, it seems yeah. to be a bit easier because I'm also involved in a whole lot of other things out there. Yeah. Um, that um, hmm. a bit of dissent, I guess, Joe. Yes. Yeah, right. Well, if you look, if you want to make a guest appearance next week during the radio fun, you're more than welcome to help me raise a bit of money with Dale. Thank you. Yeah, if you want to make a guest appearance, we can. Um, it'll be good. We'll, well see Dave, how we go. It's, 
It's, is, it, is it time? It's time. Oh, it's time, gosh, darling. It's We've time. only just got started, really. Exactly. I'm only just yeah, starting well, to get warmed plus, up. you're 70 I'm usually interviewing 19-year-olds. I'm starting that, to that find way. my words now. Yeah, because if you can interview 19-year-olds, you can tame their thoughts within an hour, but when it's 70, you just you need a whole... I'm feeling now I can, I can answer some of those questions you asked that I didn't answer. No, yeah. well, it's bad luck, mate. You've lost... Perhaps career. I'll have to come Maybe back. Maybe I'll bring you back in a few years' time. Y- yeah. Well, thank you, David. It's a pleasure speaking to David Green. You've made a great contribution to the society, which hasn't been acknowledged by most people. Here at Radical Australia, we'd like to acknowledge your contribution that you've made to the lives of many people whose lives would have been much more difficult without your input. So thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Keep on listening and come in a little bit more regularly. All the best. Ta. And uh, Dale, get better. Hopefully you're back next week. Bye.